Well, the title of my message this morning is An Overlooked Blessing, and there are many blessings I think we overlook, we take for granted, but I'm going to really be focusing on a particular one. When you see that scripture in Psalms 103, verse 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There are so many benefits for God's kids, God's children. And that's who we are. We sometimes think if we got saved, that's a good thing. And it is a great thing. It's the thing. But there's so much more that comes in that package we call salvation or the atonement. There are so many blessings for his children. The promises and Psalms, it goes on and lists a number of them. But I'm going to talk about one. And actually, we're going to be talking about this for the next few weeks, probably. I don't know for sure how long. Um, but we're going to be looking at this. And I want to just start by, <clears throat> I, I suppose I should say, Happy Valentine's Day. There, do you all feel loved? Amen. <laughs> you know, the world celebrates Valentine's Day. You know that they say, statistically, worldwide, they sell over one billion Valentine cards. The only holiday that supersedes that is Christmas. A billion Valentine cards. You know, and we send these Valentine cards, and I suppose to at least express affection, if not love, for whoever the person is we're sending them to. And obviously, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, But I do think that for way too many of us, we look forward to Valentine's Day so we can just get it out of the way and tell somebody we love them, tell somebody that we care about them, and we go the rest of the year without doing it. Now, maybe it's just some of us guys that are that way. But we can easily fall into that trap, especially with the people that we are closest to and actually the people that we love the most. And I don't know that a Valentine's card makes up for it, but it's not a bad idea. But the reality is in too many of our relationships, one card one day a year isn't going to cut it. And sometimes in the most important relationship we should ever have as Christians, as believers, we fall into this same trap of ignoring one of the great blessings that God has given us. We all should understand and know that when it comes to relationships, let's just say marriage, for example, but any relationship, if there is not communication, if there is not communion, if there is not fellowship, that relationship is not going to thrive. You know, we might have some relationships from college or 15 years ago that that they're still good friends, so to speak. But unless you've been communicating with them, they don't know your life and you don't know theirs anymore. But if you communicate, and the same thing sadly happens in marriages way too often. We quit communicating. You know, it's that same old story or joke you've maybe heard. My dad, I think he might think it's true sometimes. I told you I loved you when we got married. When I changed my mind... I'll let you know. Well, that's just a bad rule. But sometimes that's how it is with the Lord. We should have no greater love for anyone or anything or any, anything than we have for the Lord. There's no greater love than the love he has for us. And to, to be involved in that relationship, knowing there's that love from him, are we demonstrating our love towards him? And a lot of times, a good way to just measure that, there are so many ways, but a good way to measure that is how much time do you spend communicating with him? How much time do you spend communicating with him? 
You may have heard this line before. The secret of all failures is the failure to pray in secret. Secret prayer. Basically, as we pray, seek the Lord, communicate with him, we understand his will. There is direction. There is wisdom. There is actually an empowering that comes with it as we seek his will, as we spend time with him. Prayer, I believe, is one of the most overlooked blessings that we have. And I'm confessing that before you for my own life. I want you to know I'm, I'm speaking to me today. You just have to listen unless you leave. And it's not just a failure to pray. It's a failure in prayer. Now, there is not going to be a magic formula that's going to come out of anything I share in the next few weeks. There could be some great information, a great modeling, but today I just want to set the stage in the time that we have to look at prayer and just sort of set a foundation. It's not just do you pray. It's what happens with when you pray. How do you pray? Not the liturgy or the format so much, but the attitude. You know, if it was just to pray, guess what? The Pharisees would have been in pretty good shape. They prayed a lot. We can read in Scripture as an admonition, hey, don't pray like the Gentiles pray. Guess what? The Gentiles prayed. A Gentile was a pagan. And one of the admonitions they had there was in Matthew 6, verse 7. It says this, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they'll be heard for their many, 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 many words. In other words, the more times I say it, the more times I repeat it, the greater it'll be. That's just anti-Bible. There may not be anything wrong with the prayer there is something that you're repeating, but if it just becomes a vain repetition, it means nothing to the Lord. Nothing. You know why? Because it means nothing to us. It's become a rote repetition. And he's saying, don't do that. Get away from that. In the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 11. If you want to be doing some studying and preparing, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13 is what we're going to be looking at primarily. It'll take us some other directions, but that's going to be the primary scriptures that we're going to be looking at. And we're going to be looking at it, hopefully, to gain more of an understanding of the importance of prayer. We talk about it. Pastors talk about it all the time. You know, we would all as Christians say, hey, what do you think? On a scale of 1 to 10, how important is prayer? Most of us would put it way up there somewhere around 9 or 10, I would guess. And then we would say, how are you doing in your time of prayer? What does your prayer life look like? Boy, it just brings conviction to me. You know, I shared in in the uh, academy class the other night, I asked just four questions. And I said, give yourself a score from one to five. So the perfect score would have been 20. I was embarrassed when I asked how many of you have a score over 15 because a whole bunch of people raised their hand. I looked down at my score and I had a 10. I thought, man, oh man, oh man, I'm in worse shape than I thought. And I know it's subjective and we all would be uh, harder or easy on ourselves, but I'm learning so much about my inadequacy in prayer as I'm studying this section of Scripture. And I hope you do too. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, 
there's a request that's made that seems quite simple as you just read the words. But when you begin to think about it, who asked it, why they asked it? The simple question was, Lord, or request was, Lord, teach us to pray. Okay. When you just take that at face value, it's like, okay, teach us, teach us to do this thing called prayer. Well, the reality is they all prayed. They were Jews. All of these guys, well, almost all of these guys were Jews. They'd been praying for years. So it isn't so much how to do it, the mechanics of it. There's got to be something deeper in that question. And I think that something deeper is what we need to understand because I believe it will change the way we think about prayer and, more importantly, about how much and how we pray. Spending time speaking with the Lord. So I want to back up. First of all, there was an initial problem. You know, God, when he created man, he created us for fellowship, right? I mean, not so much that he was lonely, but he wanted fellowship with us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had been together for eternity past. But he created mankind. It says he walked with him in the garden. He was just blessed with fellowship with his creation, the crown jewel of his creation. I mean, in God's eyes, we are the crown jewel of all creation. I don't care how beautiful the mountains are, the trees are, the valleys, the rivers. I don't care. When it comes to you and me, God just looks at us and goes, unbelievable. I created this amazing, amazing thing humans. But there was a problem. Sinful man, Adam and Eve sinned. Sinful man and a holy God. Sinful man and a holy God, fellowship was broken. He created us of his own initiative, so all life was a gift from God. He wanted fellowship. And then after sin came and that fellowship was broken, something had to happen if there was ever going to be fellowship again. And you and I couldn't do a thing about it. We were helpless and hopeless in restoring that fellowship. But once again, God the Father, our Heavenly Father, He took the initiative to restore fellowship. In the Old Testament, it was a temporary fix. He created the sacrificial system where they would come and sacrifice all these animals, shed all this blood to cover sin. But when it comes to the New Testament, the New Covenant, He replaced the temporary system with a permanent solution. His son, Jesus, he initiated it. It was his idea. It was his willingness, his love, his compassion, mercy, grace towards us that he chose to send his only son to die on a cross so that fellowship could be restored. And he freely offers that gift to every human being on the planet. And all we have to do is just receive that gift. Sadly, too many don't. Sadly, too many look at it from the wrong perspective, that it's not a gift. It's something you're going to earn. You can't earn it. We were helpless and hopeless to fix the problem. But Jesus was the solution that a loving Heavenly Father provided for us. And it's interesting that God encourages us in his word to come 
Speak to me. Talk to me. Fellowship with me. In Hebrews 10, verse 19 and 20. Therefore, brethren, since we have a confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. In other words, he's saying, it's been opened. I'm no longer hidden behind the veil. It's no longer just for some priest, some high priest, or any other human being. There's no special person. You're the special person. The moment you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's saying, you have the boldness, the confidence to enter, and come and visit me. Come and talk to me. And he says, you can do this by this new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So he's saying, hey, the way is open. One of the benefits of that is we can come and we can commune with our Heavenly Father. We don't have to have any other intermediary because we've got the only intermediary, Jesus. He's it. We have access to our Heavenly Father who loves you so much, his son died for you, and he became our way of access. Jesus is the way. He was the door that opened us to that fellowship. And one of the aspects of that fellowship that is critical for so many reasons is prayer. Prayer. And for a lot of us, it's hard work. We forget that it's one of the great blessings that God has given us. And not only does he invite us in, it gets crazy here in my mind. He's chosen you and me. He's chosen people to be partners in running the world. I can hardly run my life. But he said, you know what? You're going to be partners with me. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, it says this. Therefore, we are all ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? It's a witness. It's a person who goes to represent me or my country. And he's saying, you are to go as my representation. You are to go and project the image of Christ. You and I are to develop and become more transformed into the image of Christ day by day by day by day. It's a process. But we are to go. And besides that, being ambassadors, you know, the Great Commission, he says, you know what? Here's my plan A. There is no plan B. Go. Make disciples of all nations. It's our job. He's he's chosen to let us be his partners. Gee, God, I don't know how to do that. Where should I go? What should I say? What am I supposed to do with this job? Well, guess what? Prayer. Pray. He doesn't leave us alone. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. We always use that scripture when it comes to, boy, what a mess I'm in now. The reality is, every day, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I've purchased you at the great price of my son Jesus by his blood. I've, I've purchased you, not as a slave, but as a child of God. And I'm going to equip you to go and do the work that I've called you to. We're his plan. A, no B. And we do this, we participate, whether it be in evangelism or just carrying out his will and whatever he calls us to do. But we do it in and through prayer. 
through prayer. When you look at that verse 1 in chapter 11 of Luke, we see the plea of a disciple. We don't even know what disciple it is. I kind of think he was probably speaking on behalf of all the disciples. He says, it happened while Jesus was praying in a certain place. So they're watching him pray. And they've seen him pray a lot of times. And it says, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John, John the Baptist, taught his disciples to pray. So some of these, at least one or two, were disciples of John before. And John had evidently taught them to pray. They were familiar with the Jewish way of praying. A lot of rote prayers. A lot of certain scriptures you were supposed to pray. Things you're supposed to pray on their religious holidays. All of these things. John had evidently taught them to pray somehow a little bit differently. But they're seeing something different here with Jesus. And the disciple says, Lord, teach us. So the question I have is this. What was the motivation behind that question? It wasn't just idle curiosity. It wasn't as if they've never prayed. They prayed as Jews before. They prayed as they were taught by John the Baptist. Whatever that looked like, we're not told. But they're seeing something different. And whatever it is they're seeing, that seems to be their motivation. You know, if you think about this, and I shared this with the class on Wednesday night, these disciples... And if you could just try to, you know, in your own imaginations, kind of put yourself in the place of being one of those disciples. Traveling with Jesus. Walking with him. They've seen him heal the sick. They've they've heard him teach in ways that no Pharisee could ever imagine teaching with an authority and a power. They've seen him do miracles, the lame walk, their limbs restored. He's seen him, they've seen him cast out demons. They've even seen him raise the dead. All these ama- They've seen him walk on water, or they will see him walk on water. They, they've seen so many things, and isn't it interesting? Nowhere in Scripture do we see him saying, Lord, teach me how to cast out demons. Teach me how to heal. Teach me how to do miracles. Teach me how to make bread turn into a whole bunch of bread and fish turn into a whole bunch of fish. So instead of feeding a little boy, it feeds 5,000 people. They never asked that question. This is all they asked him to teach him. Lord, teach us how to pray. That must be something really significant. In their minds, they're seeing something so significant. You know, all these other things, you could say, well, Jesus modeled that for them. He taught by example. Well, guess what? They've seen him pray many, 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 many times. So if you're going to just teach them by example, they've seen his example. So it's something else. What else? You know, one of the things that, can you imagine again? Put yourself, you're one of the disciples. And people keep coming up to you. And Now, for you older people, you might remember this, but remember in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Anybody remember that movie? Okay, I'll just talk to you for a second. Remember when they're trying to outrun the posse? And they just kept looking back, and they'd keep asking, who are those guys? 
and ride some more. Who are those guys? I can't imagine being one of the disciples. You know, Jesus feeds 5,000. And the people come into the, who is this guy? He raises somebody from the dead. Who is this guy? The Bible tells us there was nothing impressive looking about him. It says there was nothing comely about him. There was nothing there. Um, We don't have any idea what his IQ was. We know his training wasn't much. They weren't impressed with a carpenter's kid. And you can imagine, even the disciples, even the disciples, if you remember the story when they're in the boat and the storm is coming, the waves are coming, the disciples are all freaking out. They get Jesus. He's really freaked out. He's sleeping. They wake him up. Hey, don't you care about us, Lord? We're going to die in this storm. And he just calms the winds, calms the seas. What did the disciples say? Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Even the, even the wind and the waves listen to this guy. I think part of their motivation in asking the question, Lord, teach us how to pray, is we got to figure this guy out. There's something we're missing. And they've noticed something along the way. Boy, does this guy pray a lot. So they'd seen all this amazing teaching. They'd seen the displays of power and the miracles, the demonstrations, all of these things. And over here... They had seen old, dead religion. That old, dead religion that's so easy to slip into that old, dead religion. Traditions of men. All these rules and regulations that have nothing to do with the new covenant. And they're walking with Jesus and they're seeing him violate or appear to violate some of the laws. But they're seeing him walk in power and authority. And they're seeing, this guy never messes up. He never sins. Who is this guy? I believe that's part of what was motivating him. They knew the Pharisees prayed. They prayed. Gentiles prayed. Something's different. And I believe what we'll see here is the way he prayed in relationship to who he was and everything that he did. He prayed in such a way that it was part of who he basically was and everything that he did. It was more the manner and the attitude of his prayer. And actually not his prayer, his prayer life that was different. They wanted to know, Lord, teach us how to make prayer a part of our life like it's obviously part of yours. You know, sometimes we can forget, even though the Bible's clear about this, but we can forget sometimes. Jesus said things like, and I'll show you some scriptures, but I can't do anything in my own strength. I don't do anything. I don't even speak words unless the Father tells me what to speak. Everything I do, the Father tells me what to do. He is praying out of an attitude of total dependence on God. I'm already in trouble. When do you pray the most? You know when I pray the most? When I'm this deep in whatever it is, and I don't know what else to do 
Otherwise, it's simply this attitude. I got this. I can handle this. No big deal. Jesus never did that. He tells us over and over things, everything. He was totally dependent on the Father, and it resulted in an intimate fellowship with the Father that I believe the disciples wanted. You know, the the Scripture says, actually, Jesus says this, the pupil, if they learn well, will ultimately become like their teacher. They wanted to be like their teacher. Boy, would I like to be in a place in my prayer life where I was like the teacher, Jesus. That I would be able to crucify this flesh and realize I can't do anything of lasting value. I can't do anything of eternal value unless God's leading me, showing me, and empowering me to do that. And how do I access that? Through prayer, through fellowship. Jesus accessed it that way. They wanted to be like their teacher. I'm looking at the clock because I know I'm not going to get very far. But, yes, now is a good time. I'd have forgot altogether. Oh, wives are a good thing. So I'm going to stop right there. And we're going to take a few minutes right now. I want to encourage you to start studying the Scripture. Start asking yourself, what is the attitude of Jesus in his prayer life? What is it that he's doing and why? Amen.